Hello and welcome to the Wired Biohealth Podcast. My name is Jacqueline Hall and I am joined by our show's host, Dr. Evelyn Higgins. Hey, Jackie. Great to be with you again, Doc. Yes, another week. Another week. So I'm curious, do you think a lot of people, when they say, I got to stop drinking, do you think that AA is the first thing that comes to mind? I think a lot of people probably say, hey, if you could have done it yourself, you would have already done it. You're mm-hmm. going to need some kind of help. You're going to need some kind of support. Yeah. You need a game plan going into it to be successful at like anything in life you know to be successful at it we have to have a game plan yeah absolutely so they know there's a resource out there but they probably don't know the story of Alcoholics Anonymous right which is a really great story a really great story and I'm so excited because we have the director of Bill W and Dr. Bob on with us today Um, it's Bill Shea and I'll tell you a little bit about the background of the play itself before we bring on Bill to get into the weeds and his story and how he came to the group Um, So Bill W. and Dr. Bob, this critically acclaimed play performed off-Broadway in 2007, telling the amazing story of two men who pioneered Alcoholics Anonymous and of their wives who founded Al-Anon. So without further ado, Bill Shea. Hello. Bill, thank you for taking the time and thank you for the work that you do with Second Chance Players. Well, thanks. Uh, it's It's certainly a labor of love. Um, a uh, little background on second chance plays about, um, I've been doing musical theater and theater my entire life. Um, I was an altar boy in the sound of music, uh, in Oakdale, New York, when I was nine years old, <laughs> uh, ever since then I've, uh, have, have had a love for theater and a love for, um, performing, which I gave up for a while when I, uh, Moved down here from Texas, from New York, and uh, uh, I was in recovery about ten years. And I just, I just didn't have the energy, and I didn't want to, uh, you know. It was uh, meeting new people, and you know, theater people are a, a unique breed. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I so I, I I stopped doing theater for about ten years, and wow. uh, then I was asked to do. We have a thing in uh alcoholics anonymous called roundups mm-hmm. they're not just not just in texas but all over the country <laughs> they're basically conventions that have workshops and uh, uh speakers and uh everything you might imagine with that but with, with our particular roundup we had a a show a musical show that was uh, a centerpiece of the entertainment mm-hmm. and uh after a couple of years where they were just awful uh, you stepped in. A friend of, yeah, a friend of mine. Hopefully, none of them are listening. A friend of mine uh, said, "We need to do something about this." And I said, "Well, why don't you? If you if you write it, I I can stage it." And uh, and that began about a ten year uh, journey of that. Not just after that, I started writing them myself. The first one we did was just a knockoff of the Sound of Music because everybody knows right, that. Sure. Uh, <laughs> But as we went forward, we got into like some some real, real kind of topical things that we all face both in life and in recovery. And I would use uh, popular music um, and rewrite the words to reflect what the storyline was. Nice. And they got to be pretty popular. And uh, people, we actually took we actually took a couple of them on the road to other cities in San Antonio and Austin because they had their own roundups and uh, it was a lot of fun. And I found that 
instead of performing, I really enjoyed directing and writing and creating a bigger, a bigger picture. And I thought that that's where my service was at. So about four years ago, we're sitting around my dining room table, my co-director and my stage manager, and we had a musical director who was, you know, uh, who had been doing this for 30 years. And I'm thinking, man, we have everything that we need to start a community theater. You know, the people that, the, the jobs that are tough to fill, I have sitting here on my dining room table. Wow. And that was really where Second Chance was, was born in that idea. And we said, you know, we can provide a space for people who like to do theater, maybe have a little fear of being triggered because, you know, theater is also a place where you can, if you want to party, you're going right. to find it, right. you know, and, uh, and, and that's exactly what we did. And, uh, Bill W and Dr. Bob was a show that it, uh, I had seen done here in Dallas about probably about 15 years ago. And it just stuck in my brain as like, I, I'd like to do that one day and put my take on it. And that's what we're doing. And, that's how we're here today. We threw our hat over the wall and then how to go get it. So. I love it. I love it. Wow. That's so exciting. So I'm curious, how do you see theater in the recovery community being different than people not in recovery? What does that look like? Well, number one, you, people are generally more reliable. They, <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Which which may which may or may not be the case. I'll, I'll let you know after a couple more shows. But, uh, it it there is this common uh, thread. One thing that we know, and one thing that I knew from doing these uh, roundup shows, was that we affect people. Mm-hmm. And um, Alcoholics Anonymous is is about service to others. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of Bill and Bob. Uh, you have to understand, like, when we talk about recovery nowadays, people think, oh, well, you know, everybody's in recovery. You know, you, we hear about it all the time. You hear about people on, uh, in the in the, in the the movies, you know, and they're, you know, sober. Or they're going to, you know, they're, they're all the actors and sports figures. And it's not, there's not this taboo and, uh, and uh, you know, social... Um, condemnation of alcoholics that there wasn't when this play took place it was in 19 the 1930s and uh, bill wilson was a uh, wall street um, maven uh, made a lot of money bob was a doctor in uh in um akron ohio and what the the fact that they even got together is just miraculous uh bill had bill had uh, they both had this contact with this group called the Oxford Group, which was a more religious mm-hmm. um, organization that laid out the steps, which later became the 12 steps. And what what had not worked was that this idea of it, this, it was connected to religion. You had to you had to be very religious to to be part of this group and and you had to you know testify and you know all the things that you can associate and that turned a lot of people off especially alcoholics who don't like to be told what to do <laughs> and uh what bill and bob figured out really kind of aa was kind of reverse engineered by them talking to each other mm-hmm. you know they they took the best of what they had heard which is nothing is nothing is original okay 
I have found there's a there's a there's a philosopher called Epictetus that if you read him, he, he came before uh, Plato, he came before Aristotle, and if you read his writings, it's like reading a page out of a uh, a recovery handbook and in, in, in a third 28 day recovery thing. It's all about you know making amends when you need to make amends. I mean, when you think about it, AA is about and recovery is about growing up. Yeah. It's about taking responsibility. Yeah. It's about taking, you know, you hurt somebody. If you hurt somebody, you make amends. Mm -hmm. If you're wrong, you own it. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, you get up and you go to work every day. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, people are amazed at how they, their lives get better. Well, right. you know what? You're going to work like everyone else. Right. You know? <laughs> so, right. Right. so, and you're not going after, out afterwards and spending all your money on booze and Coke and right. whatever. Right. So you have more money in your pocket. And all of a sudden, these things start happening where your life comes back. And, they, and Bill and Bob figured that out. And they figured out what they needed to do was to, that two alcoholics talking to each other could, could be the cure mm -hmm. for alcoholism, which, at, which up to that point was you went, you were either tucked away in your, you know, in the, in the attic, mm -hmm. you went into an institution. Right. Jails and death. That's what that right. that's what was waiting for the alcoholic in, in like before AA. So this tells that story. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, that's so powerful. And you think about what a resource it is that it's free, that it doesn't have to have any other institutions that really start to tarnish the reputation or the teachings of AA. And we talk about all the time, you don't have to be an alcoholic or somebody with a substance use disorder to benefit right. from the practice. Exactly as you just said, it's about right. making amends when you injure somebody. It's about growing up, doing the things you're supposed to do and realizing you're not it. There's a higher power right. out there. And that that's why we're on this earth. You don't have to be a person who needs help with a substance or an activity to benefit from that. Right. You think about the timeline of someone getting sober and then they look at their snapshot of their life one year, two years, three or four years, 10 years, 20 years. Wow. My life is so much better. Well, just the things that you said, Bill, it's like you stepped up, you owned your <laughs> life. You know, and, and as a result of that, isn't your work ethic going to be better? Aren't your relationships going to be better? And if your relationships are better, isn't your life going to be better as a result of that? Yeah, I love it. I think there was an episode of the Wired Biohealth podcast where I really dove into step four of the 12 steps and talked about the turnarounds and creating this fear list and doing this moral inventory because anybody's going to benefit from having that hard talk with yourself and mm -hmm. saying out of all of this problem and confusion in my life, where do I fit into right, it? Right. And inevitably you're a part somewhere. Maybe yeah. you're a big part, a small yeah. part, but you am play I, a role in I it. The conductor. Am I a player? You know, what part am I? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So tell me about your life before. That's where I was going to go. Yeah. Now your life to the this. hard questions, Bill. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> Evelyn, would you like to uh, weigh in here? <laughs> uh, full disclosure, Evelyn and I have known each other since we were Child, three years children. old. Children, yeah, yeah, we were kids. So when Bill <laughs> said he kids. was in The Sound of Music, so was I. <laughs> I was Frau Schmidt. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. <laughs> I, I was the maid. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I was, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm the, sixth, the sixth child of six uh, in an Irish Catholic family. 
uh, loud and angry won the day in my house. Uh, uh, there was a lot of drinking going on. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't prescribe to call anybody else an alcoholic. I know that I'm an alcoholic and, um, but there was a lot of drinking going on and there were it, I found since I was the gift child, um, my brothers were all eight, nine, ten years older than me. So I wanted, I was running as fast as I could to keep up with right. them right. when I was a kid. So I did everything a little young yep. and probably a yep. little earlier than I should have, uh, which included starting to drink when I was 12, 13 years old. Um, and, uh, and I could drink. I could drink a lot of people under the table. I could drink a lot of adults under the table. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, as I got older, I loved bars. I loved, I, I just, I loved everything about drinking. I loved the social, the sociability of it. I loved the, the pale fellow, well-met uh, kind of drinking. I was a bar drinker, you know, or, or, or a gang drinker. I, didn't, I wasn't, I, you, you weren't going to find me, you know, alone in the corner with a bottle of booze, you know, hiding my drinking, you know. Right. I mean, what was the point? It was, you know, to have a good time. Um, but there is a point when you, you know, there's a line that you cross. And, you know, some people, you know, straddle that line their whole lives. But once you once you cross that line, there's no going back. Uh, there's a saying, once, once, a, uh, once, a, once a pickle, never a cucumber. And, uh, uh, I, so I got sober at 27. I could have gotten sober when I was 21. And I still would have had a story to tell. I still would have had the consequences of a of an alcoholic, uh, uh, you know. And I could and I, I could have benefited from the program. I had never when I got sober. I got sober to get out of trouble. I did not get sober to get sober. Mm -hmm. I uh, I was I was uh, for the umpteenth time. I was late for work. I reeked of booze. Um, you know, I had a boss that wasn't related to me. Um, and he said, you know, we don't need you, Bill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hadn't heard that a lot. I, that might've been, that might've been whispered. That might've been something, something that people said, mm -hmm. but I had never heard that directly to my face. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't need you. And I knew because I was in a union that I could, uh, go to treatment. And I had a cousin that had gone to treatment. Mm -hmm. So I just mirrored that I, I actually called the place myself and got myself checked in and as i said and and dwight gooden and daryl strawberry had gone there and i was a big met fan so i said this should be fun. maybe <laughs> i'll maybe i'll meet maybe i'll meet a baseball player maybe I'll meet, meet the Mets. uh so i went to i went to uh smithers institute in new york and there was a, a time along the way that i just said you know, these folks seem to have a better idea than I do. Um, maybe I'll just let this thing drag me along and see where it takes me. So rather than, hey, I jumped right in and I sort of, you know, I, I was visited by an angel, and, right, right, right. you know, sort of burning bush. You know, it was basically like, eh, you know, yeah. how about I don't fight right. and see what happens? And it has since been my experience that that is, that's more the experience of most alcoholics 
than not. That mm-hmm. no I mean, even even if we say, you know, because we learn we learn a language that we probably previously haven't known, so we get to say things that sound lofty and and intelligent, and we love the sound of our own voices, as I'm proving today. <laughs> but the uh, but you have a good one, Bill. Well, 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 thank you. Uh, I just, and it says in the in the book Alcoholics Anonymous that the 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 door of willingness needs to be open just a crack, mm-hmm. and then then you start building sober experience, and that's what happened to me. I I started saying yes. They wanted me to go to halfway house. I said yes. I went to a halfway house in Minnesota in December. You know. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Yeah, no uh, I didn't see I didn't see concrete till the end of May. Uh, the uh, I came back, came back to New York after uh, I think about six months. I stayed out there, and I just started my life over again. Uh, I came out. I'm a gay man. Um, that was was that a big I think, part of it? I think to some people. <laughs> Pardon? Was that a big part for you? Uh, I think it was. I don't think it's what made me an alcoholic. I think I would have drank anyway. I mean, I was, you know, I was, I was a drinker, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, I found, I found uh, companionship in gay bars, right. you know, and and that, and I was like, oh, I can do this. I know how to do this, mm-hmm. you know. I know how to, you know, and I, you know, ended up working at, uh, working out of working the door, one of the gay bars I used to go to, and I, and it was just a I had this covert life that kind of mirrored my other life. You know, it was it was just different. There was a lot. There were a lot more guys around. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not. <laughs> As my 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 straight friends really weren't good with women either. So, <laughs> but uh, uh, they were better at drinking around a keg. I gotta say. Um, so. So that was the biggest thing was my family. You know, it was uh, I had come out to my mother and my sister, and that's that is a, that's another well-worn story of of game. We we come out to the women first; they're usually more open to it, and then uh, and then my brothers. And uh, you know, I remember my oldest brother, who I was who was the last person I told who I had the most anxiety about. Said, well, if you don't like the way things are around here, just wait a second and they'll change. And that was his, that was his reaction to it. So fast forward, you know, I've, I've lived three or four different lives. I've, you know, lost everything, gained everything. You know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. I, I have a saying, if you haven't lost everything twice in sobriety, you don't even remember. This way. Um, uh, I found the, the love of my life. We got married and uh, we were together 13 years and then we decided to get married because they passed marriage equality in New York. We came back to New York on a big, big family wedding out of Long Island. And that was, uh, uh, that was third, oh, he's going to kill me, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Um, we're raising my nephew. So we have a we have a little family here. He's just he's graduating high school this year, and I go to meetings. Um, you know, it's uh, and I do service. This is part of the service that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I feel like I know that whatever's twisting me up, if I can find the service in it, 
I can find the answer like to my own my own anxiety. Find the service, you'll find your answer. And uh, and that has held true for me from day one. Yep. So, yeah. That would benefit anybody. Yeah, absolutely. I think <clears throat> your story, I'm curious, do you feel like if you had waited to get sober later in life that your bottom would have been lower or you think you would have just kind of trended the same way and continued? I... Uh, I was done, mm-hmm. you know, I was, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't know how to, I didn't know. I mean, my greatest fear as a kid was that I wouldn't be able, I, I didn't know how to do life. I didn't know how to, you know, um, uh, I wouldn't know how to support myself. My dad was a big, was a, was a very, uh, let's say well influential certainly but he was you know he was a big presence in uh anybody's life you know he was just a and and you know he kind of demanded that we you know the the it wasn't even demand we our path was that we would go to school we would go to college we would be successful and you know i just didn't know how i was going to do that Mm because i didn't have that focus you know i wanted to have fun i wanted to party and i learned how to lie and i learned how to you know get over and i learned how to make excuses and and that was my life and then he he died when i was when i was 15 and then i had an excuse you know i was the kid whose dad died so you know um i i had you know and everybody felt sorry for me so you know, I use that because that's what we do. That's what alcoholics do. We use circumstances around us to get what we want. Alcoholics know how to get what they want, mm-hmm. and uh, and but at the end of the day, if you're if that's if that's your only focus, uh, for me at least, I wasn't focusing on you know making. I was 27. I was living in my mother's house. You know, right. it was like. Yeah. 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 And and as you say, Bill, it's like you didn't embrace when you went to treatment, but you were open to it. Yeah. But you were open. Well, that was it. Well, that's, that's the thing. And I I don't know if I was open when I went in. It's, it's, that's, that's the, that's the beauty of a program like Alcoholics Anonymous is because you hear things from other people and you're like, wow, they're telling my story. I had never thought of that. I, now I'm hearing people say out loud what I like guarded and inside. wouldn't let you yeah. know about. Right? I wouldn't, yeah. you know, if I let you know, if I let you know who I really am, then you wouldn't like me, like or that. you could get a clean shot. You know, so <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm not going to let that happen. You know, what one other thing is that alcoholism is a self-diagnosed disease. If you don't diagnose yourself with it, you don't have it. It's true. Yeah. Pure won't work. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. So um, I think that's that was the that that's another major point. And like I was like I heard somebody said alco- non-alcoholics get drunk like twice a year. And I remember sitting next to somebody. I said, "What? what? what did you, did you just <laughs> what did say? That's got what? Me wrong. <laughs> twice a twice a what? <laughs> twice a week." You know, because if I could have gotten drunk twice a week, I would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought about my mother. You know, my mother was not an alcoholic. She, you know, had a whiskey sour 
every now and then. And, uh, you know, and, and, and if she drank too much wine before dinner on Thanksgiving, right. you know, she'd get a rip roaring toast, you know, right. 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 <laughs> she was in bed by nine, you know, yeah. and that was it. So that was my, that was my, Oh, okay. So that's, that's not an alcoholic and this is me, right. you know? It's, so we, you know, it's the first drink that gets you drunk. If I didn't have a first drink, I didn't get, I didn't, didn't bother me. I didn't get drunk. And the, and the other thing I did, which was, you know, I mean, you ask what would have happened. I probably would have wrapped my car around a telephone pole because Mm -hmm. I drove drunk all the time. I was a terror. Um, I didn't think so at the time. I didn't think about it, but you know, that's what, uh, that's really, that's the reality of it. And, uh, you know, I drove drunk with people in the car, you know, and, uh, you know, I came, I came home one night from, uh, driving down Montauk highway on Long Island and going 90 miles an hour and couldn't make the turn into, uh, my summer house and hit, luckily there was a fence in front of a brick wall Mm -hmm. because I hit the fence Mm -hmm. and it, saved my life because if I had hit the brick wall, I'd be dead. Right. You know, so those are the things that, you know, when you start doing a four step, when you start Mm -hmm. looking at your consequences in the first step, you suddenly realize, Oh, wow. Yeah. That was, you know, they say God watches over babies and drunks Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and brings something you, was what something was watching over. Yeah, me brings night. us to the the name of your your group, Second Chance. How many second chances when you start to reflect on your life? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it's not just. I mean, anybody who has uh, anybody who has, you know, I, I have a I have a friend of mine. We let we we joke that, you know, America is you know an alcoholic country i mean it's all you know whether it's whether it's because the disease of alcoholism does not just is not just about people I'll, I'll take this to the 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 wives of bill and bob mm-hmm. uh lois and ann who founded Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. people in Al-Anon suffer from the disease of alcoholism right they're not drinkers right. but they have behaviors that they've developed over the years of dealing with alcohol right. alcoholics walking on eggshells and, you know, covering up and being super over-responsible and, uh, you know, the, uh, being a victim, you know, uh, yeah, these are all, these are all, I I think Al-Anon is actually the graduate school of Alcoholics Anonymous because you don't have the consequences that, you know, and you don't have and you don't have any of the fun right yeah yeah, yeah. and you have to be able to own alcoholism as a family disease you have to take that in and say hey i'm not the one who's having a drink but it's true exactly when you contribute to you know i had a i had a friend of mine at work whose mother actually worked in the same uh same warehouse as i did and he was this was after i got sober and uh, she would call me about him, like, cause she knew me. She knew I was, you know, and what can I do? What can I do? And I would say, Adele, you need to go to Alan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go to an Alan meeting, yeah. you know, read, you know, read, read some literature. 
And that's not what she wanted to hear. Right. She wanted she wanted to hear, wanted you know, what it. can I do to right. fix it? Fix it. Yep. You know, and it's not him that needed to be fixed. Right. Right. You know, it's it's you know, the ability to to have boundaries and to say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. You know. Boundaries is a uh, big thing for people to learn. Yeah. 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 I love I, I I love you and you know, you need to go. Yep, exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm seeing a sequel. It's going to be <laughs> Bill S. and Dr. Evelyn. So maybe Second Chance Players wants to consider it. This has been such an enjoyable conversation. I want to fly yeah. out to Plano and watch the show. I yeah. mean, I'm I'm ready. Probably going. February 16th, still, 17th, and 18th. Yeah. 16, 17, yeah. 18, and then the following weekend as well. And then the following weekend as well. Two Last two weekends in February. Okay. Second Chance Players. Dot org. Still we'll tickets take available? Information on there. Absolutely. Okay. They're uh, 20, 20 bucks plus event rights fees. I think they're 25 bucks a piece. Beautiful. And uh, which is, which is, uh, yeah, you'll have, you'll be entertained. You'll laugh, you'll cry. Yeah. You'll, you know, you may, you may decide that, wow, I probably, I may need to do a little something about my life here. Exactly. Everybody uh, will find a little piece of themselves in this place. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Because yep. we all have somebody. We all have we all have somebody in our lives Absolutely. that you know whether it's you, your spouse, whether it's your brother, yep. sister, uncle. Yep. We know what this is about. So and directed by William P. Shea. How can it go wrong? <laughs> That's me. That is me. It's been a so yes. Yeah, second chance yeah. players. Dad, I will. I'll throw this out there for any anybody's sure. thinking of you know that may not be able to come but wants to help out. Buy five tickets and I'll put them into a scholarship fund. Beautiful. And, you know, give them out to folks who are in treatment facilities or, Beautiful. you know, or just, or just need, you know, are in need. And uh, that we, we have, we've already, we've already done that a little bit. So we're building up a little uh, scholarship fund for tickets to this. So, you know, you got a hundred dollars to burn. We'll put a scholarship together. We'll put five tickets in the hopper for, I love it. You know, a, uh, we've got we've got half a dozen uh, treatment facilities in the uh, Metro Dallas area that are that we go and visit and take meetings to. So beautiful. beautiful. That'd be something that we could do. Absolutely. So, so if you're not in the Plano Dallas area and you want to make the trip, I think it'd be worthwhile. If not, yeah, send a hundred bucks, get some scholarships <laughs> together because everybody knows somebody that this could benefit. Yeah. Absolutely. Bill. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. What a your pleasure. Story. Yeah, what thank a you pleasure. For sharing your story and thank you for the work that you do. Like you said, it's all about giving back and you're giving your gift, your talent back. It started with the sound of music. There you go. As, <laughs> you know, as is the, the that's so appropriate, so appropriate, you know, because everything starts with the musical. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and if there's not one, start making it up, right? Yep. That's right. Great, Bill. Really appreciate it. Yeah, wonderful. All right, kids. Thank you Take so care. much, Bill. Thanks, Bill. You bet. Take care. So, Dr. Higgins, I love that Bill gave an opportunity for people who maybe aren't in the Texas area. Head right. over to secondchanceplayers.org. Go ahead and purchase those tickets. Absolutely. Like he said, five. That's yeah. that's a wonderful opportunity for somebody to get to experience the fun stuff if they're in treatment. You know, it's not all doom, gloom, what can't I do? This is an opportunity to see what they can do. Right. And and if those gifts are there and they're hiding because you've been drowning them, right. like, Go have fun. Make it happen. Yeah, I love it. And then if you feel like this conversation really started to 
get some wheels turning, head over to the website. You can either go to wiredforaddiction.com. And as the name says, that's right. going to be for people that suspect a substance use disorder or a process addiction. Also wiredbiohealth.com. Maybe if you want to just more look into some of the behaviors, we're not ready to look at the substance or the activity, right. but let's just learn about the biology that's making it more difficult to make the changes you want to. So right. I encourage you to visit the websites, call the office. The number is one 888 and we're here to help. Great episode. Thanks, Jackie, and I'll see you next week. Okay, bye, Doc. Bye-bye.